0: On this episode of Office Hours, Ben Baller, Ming Tsai, Vivek Renadive, Shane Riggs, Mark McNally, and Tommy Rodriguez.
1: John Mayer, for his 40th birthday, commissioned me to make a big Lebowski piece.
2: What you do is art. Without resistance, there's no growth. Instead of saying, I want to quit, you got radically humble. Calling
3: a
4: basketball team is like an all-day experience.
5: You came to this country with only $50 in your pocket.
4: Anybody can do anything, they put the work in.
0: David Meltzer hosts... Office Hours. Let's go to this week's Executive Spotlight. Each week, we'll be interviewing the top entrepreneurs and executives, sharing their personal playbook to success and the lessons they've learned along the way. Tommy Rodriguez is the founder and CEO of Automation Empire, a company that helps clients acquire digital assets in the form of automated e-commerce stores on Amazon. After inventing the Amazon automation business model four years ago, his company now does over eight figures in annual revenue, has served over 1,000 clients, and has helped their clients accumulatively make over $50 million.
3: Welcome to Office Hours. I'm David Meltzer and I'm here with my executive spotlight. So how do you go from being, you know, in juvenile detention, dreaming about probably just getting out of juvenile mm. detention, to sitting here with that expensive suit looking like an executive spotlight here on the show?
2: So Dave, basically, you know, again, like you said, from the juvenile years to, you know, where I'm at now, it's just basically everything just took a mindset shift. I realized in order to have, you know, be rich in your bank account, you first have to be rich in your mind because your mindset will come before anything. And um, once I realized that and I shifted my mindset from, you know, broke poverty mindset and trying to party and just, just kind of BS all the time to learning how to try to build empires and invest and be an entrepreneur, that's when things kind of really started coming together for me. A lot, a lot of this started, you know, nine years ago. And uh, prior to that, I was just somebody who was trying to make it, trying to climb the corporate ladder, so to speak. But I realized that life was not what I wanted. I didn't want to work nine to five and and ask for time off and ask when to use the bathroom or take lunch break. That that lifestyle did not fit what I wanted, especially for me and my you know future family. So, I eventually took control of my life over nine years ago. Uh, it definitely wasn't an easy path, like always. And uh, but it was something that was worthwhile.
3: Why and how did you find that niche with Automation Empire, that journey of saying, this is where I can actually create some abundance, not only for me, mm. but the cool thing about what you do is you really provide opportunities
2: for others as well. Correct. So, you know, initially when I first got started as an entrepreneur, I, I honestly didn't think nine years into the future, five years. It was even still, till I shifted that mindset of becoming an entrepreneur, I had to read books, I had to listen to audios, and I really had to shift it. Because at that time, it was like, I got to pay bills next week, I got to figure this out. I did that multi-level marketing, I did affiliate marketing, CPA, and I had a little bit of success, but it wasn't without busting my ass, excuse the language, but 15 to 20 hours trying to study, trying to learn, trying to figure this out. And after about a, a year and a half, two years, I come, stumbled across what You know, I turned into my empire now, which is obviously known as Automation Empire, that dropshipping was the wave. It was basically essentially a way, a digital asset, a way to make money without, if you're going to set up a subway, you need to figure out how to get traffic, where you're going to put the location. And dropshipping is essentially just finding the products that are already selling, whether they're seasonal, they're hot selling items, that are already on the marketplace Amazon, which we all know is already a huge platform within itself, and a lot of people already go there to shop. Was it instant success for you? Oh, no, absolutely not. Absolutely I think that's not. important, right,
3: because a lot of people see where are today, and they're like, oh, it's not easy for me, and a lot of people, they prey upon yeah. people to pretend like it's easy. Mm. And so they'll charge money for programs to say, I got this drop shipping expertise, I've made millions and millions of yeah. dollars drop shipping, but they forget to tell them that it was a nine year trial and error venture that costs thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars to figure out so they can make millions.
2: Absolutely. And they say it takes an average of 3,650 days to become an overnight success. (laughs) I say 17 and a half years, but that's old school traditional. You know what I mean? It's a lot of time and it's, it's, it's just like anything, whether it's in a relationship, whether you're working out and you're trying to get the body that you want, it all takes time and business without resistance. There's no growth, just kind of like your muscles. Your muscles aren't going to grow without that resistance, right? the end of the day so initially I started drop shipping it was about a year 2014 2015 I really started getting things so I reached out to freelancers and people that I thought could help me on my own storefront
3: so I think it's important to stop there because instead of saying I want to quit yeah you got radically humble
2: yeah absolutely. and I would say
3: the best piece of advice I can give to people including myself yeah. every day is to be radically humble and ask for help uh, did you think about quitting before you
2: asked for help all the time Okay. all the time, 2014 to 2015. Even though I was making money I was having some success in my mind it was like damn I'm really putting in the 60 70 80 hours a week trying Can't to figure this, this out this is this is exhausting you know I have a baby girl now and uh, I'm trying to spend more time with her but at the same time I'm trying to provide for her so it was like a catch22 people see the sh- success and they they don't see the behind the scenes of what it took to become a reality they just see where you are now whether it's driving a nice car dri- having a nice house having your freedom whatever it is that they see eventually I started coaching people how to do it one-on-one people had a lot of success which was great but then there was a lot of people who didn't want to do it themselves because they were busy right so I understood that so speed up to things 2017 the idea of automation empire which is basically we run stores on behalf of clients it's like property management if I was to buy a rental property I'm going to hire people to manage it collect the rent handle the repairs it's a digital asset and the returns that we get for a lot of our clients are really surpassing a lot of the income streams that I'm even finding in today's, you know, day and era that everything is pretty much a hands off business so that they could run, you know, run another business, create other income, or whatever the case is. And, you know, we're looking at three and a half, four years strong and a lot of clients who, you know, are having success with the service. This path was not an easy journey to get here. It was definitely a lot of those nights that, uh, you know, would cause me to get really emotional, tear, break down, and wonder what my future holds. Because keep in mind, outside of juvie, I didn't even graduate high school. I tried to go back and get my, you know, good enough diploma, right? <laughs> and, um, but I failed that twice, not by many points, but nevertheless, I failed. It was, it was just something that, again, this is not something the lifestyle that I have now, the income, the freedom, Uh, The things that I'm able to do and invest in so many other income streams as well, trying to set my future family up for the next 10, 15, 20 plus years, uh, because I know one day I'm not going to be on this earth. And I know that currently I have two kids that are dependent on me to make sure that I can help secure their future, not just financially, but to give them the knowledge and pass down information because you can't pass down a job to your kids, right? You can teach them about investing and strategies so that they can set themselves for future selves up as well so that they can have some success as well.
3: Well, I'm glad you're giving out the new GED, which is the great empire destiny with Automation Empire. The CEO, Tommy Rodriguez, you are an incredible entrepreneur. Thanks for joining me on Office Hours. Stay tuned. We'll be right back on Office Hours. Welcome back to Office Hours. I'm David Meltzer, and I've been joined with the incredible trio over here. They look like the Italian flag with a <laughs> lot of pride, especially my friend Jason Waller. He's the CEO of Power Home Solar and the True Underdog podcast, which inspires me every week. Now, Wonder is one of the fastest growing podcasts in the world. Congratulations, Jason. Bam. Bam. And of course, Natalena, welcome as a host on Office Hours. And Incredible CEO and founder of rise up for you an author getting people to rise up But my favorite thing about neta you and I share one thing my whole life mission is about enjoying the consistent every day Persistent without quit pursuit of your potential and your whole philosophy and your business is revolving around empowering people to not only identify their potential but to rise up and go get it so thanks for joining us thank you david awesome and of course there he is the leprechaun of the host (laughs) sitting there in the master's jacket the incredible sports agent incredible partner at brown rudnick and an influencer and speaker gosh you're starting to speak everywhere dave it's so nice to have you here on office hours thank you so much Dave. he
4: won that jacket recently he did that's great it's Ah,
3: amazing Yeah, my
4: golf game is strong
3: we'll be right back here on office hours
0: our first guest is Ben Bowler, co founder and president of IF Co and serial entrepreneur.
3: Welcome to Office Hours, Ben. Thank you, guys. So Ben, you know, both of us have uh, survived our careers around big egos, around celebrities, athletes, entertainers, billionaires, millionaires, and entrepreneurs. By being around all those incredible people, it elevates your own vibration or frequency. It allows you to be bigger. It allows you to reach your potential because you learn from those five people that you're closest to. When did you make that transformation from thinking yourself as a separate lower inferior person to the celebrity and athlete and then realize that you carry the same vibration.
1: I used to have an ego, you know, but then I, um, I realized I'm perfect. So, you know, <laughs> um, you know, it, I think honestly, it, it's, it's so weird you say that I think very recently, I want to almost say, it, you know, during the pandemic, if not, you know, even this year, I, I kind of realized like, hey, you know, you know, like, wait a minute. I'm on the level, you know, I, I realize in so many different aspects of my life. Like, like I'm at the level, you know, like I'm, I'm there. People kind of already assume I got it, you know, so I, I just, I think in this, that realization came this just very recently.
4: Ben, that's tremendous. A lot of people don't know that you were very successful in the music business before you got into the jewelry game. And I want to know how your success in the music industry has helped both establish credibility and lean on some of those relationships you made, you know, working on platinum selling albums before you were referenced for uh, Making the Chain.
3: Those
1: networks that I made then, especially on the upper echelon the executive levels that definitely helped me bring my business a lot stronger as my career went on you know i mean early on when i first started my jewelry piece my first started my jewelry business you know my first client was well, my second client was mariah carey and i wouldn't have had a connection with her if i didn't have a buddy of mine who was one executive producer of her albums and two dating her and it was kind of like hey it makes sense recently when um the 20th anniversary 25th anniversary of reasonable doubt came out you know it, it it occurred to me that you know lenny santiago one of the executives at rock nation was like ben i know you got a lot of haters and i know you troll them all but nobody can ever take the fact the way that you're a part of hip-hop history forever it's one of the greatest albums ever is jay-z's first album and you were part of that and and it, and it was like you know that's cool and, and i appreciate it and it was it was it was a nice feeling but it's like Look what I've done in the jewelry business and look what I've done and what I've changed and, and, and things like that. And just, again, we, we're all somehow like a degree of separation away from each other. And it's definitely you know, uh, strengthened my business.
5: Ben, one of the things that I love about your journey is the very beginning, the story, that first day when you asked Denzel Washington for a job. And from there, you were able to make that ask and it catapulted you into this incredible career in the entertainment industry to where you are today. And I know you have some great stuff coming out soon. So tell us about the importance of really pushing through that fear and making the ask because it could really be a game changer in your life.
1: Just know that there's been three or four times I've reached out to another celebrity just to say, hey man, I'm a big fan of Rick, whatever, and I've been brushed off like, get out of here, you punk, you loser, like stop. And you get those, you get some really rude people, you get some things about, or you get like, you know, just not a pleasant reply. And, and um, even, uh, you know, like random occasions where I'll I, be at a hotel, and I'm in a very small private bathroom and Tom Cruise is in the bathroom and I don't use the card that my sister was his stylist for 20 years, pretty much you know, every cover he was on for, for 20 years, my sister dressed him and everything. And I'm like, do I say something? Do I not say something? I'm like, f- I have to say something. Okay, hey, Tom, it's Ben Yang, I'm Jin Yang's brother. And he turns around and he gives me like a kiss on the cheek. He's like, bro, are you kidding me? What are you doing? Do you wanna have dinner with me? And I'm like, holy f-. And then you have the occasion where like, hey man, bro, I'm friends with you know, like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm Drake's boy, blah, blah. And the guy's like, what man, get this guy the fuck out of here. So it's like, just weird things that have happened. <laughs> that Denzel situation, it was the, the entryway to, to so many different things in my life, you know? I met so many people at that bar. I met so many important people at that bar. I can't even tell you.
6: Ben, that's a great story. I think what you do is art, right? I mean, I like nice jewelry. I'm not buying, your jewelry's maybe a little too expensive for me. Oh, come on. But, oh, come on. But <laughs> but I really like nice jewelry and you are an artist at what you do. And so describe or tell us about three pieces that are in your top category that you're most proud of. Therefore, you're not isolating some. You're you're bringing up three that you really like.
1: Honestly, off the top of my head, uh, this Kid Cudi piece, it's a Kiki piece that I had co-designed with him with his inspiration and things. And the, the, the reason why it meant so much to me is that it was an official collaboration with Takashi Murakami, who is arguably the, the, the top three greatest living contemporary artists on the earth living, right? It just, it's so remarkable in so many different ways because of all the details from the pink sapphires to, the, to making a Japanese style uh, Hawaiian lei with so many different things with you know Murakami flowers spinning you know like literally spinning like a fidget spinner and then just so much itself and it just was an intricate piece and I feel like it was my life's work put into one piece so that's definitely you know at the top and there's I have no like I don't care who gets offended you know it was it's it's amazing um a friend of mine who is really cool really funny I think he should be a stand-up comedian even though he writes raising music is you know John Mayer for his 40th birthday commissioned me to make a big Lebowski piece and I just thought like you're oh. f-ing with me, right? And he's like, oh, yeah. I'm serious. That's so cool. And last but not least, um, I think the 50-carat brooch that I made Michael Jackson before he had died, I think that right there commands the fact that, look, man, this is the greatest entertainer to ever live in, in my lifetime, at least. And, you know, through 15 different badgerings of his manager to someone that knows him, to this person, this person, and going through the pro- just the process of talking to Michael and having them to not talk to me. Like me being as far as David is to you and him not speaking to me and speaking to his manager to tell me, and I'm like, bro, nah, he's with me. I'm right here and, he, and he's speaking third person. It was just crazy. I was like, yo, I'm gonna let this happen because he's the illest. It's Michael Jackson, you know? So like, right. there's a lot of pieces that I made, but if you're thinking of three, those are three that I have to put up there.
3: The great Ben Baller, he is a baller. He is a father. He's a husband and co-founder and president of if and Co. of course, serial entrepreneur, but just an incredible person. I love seeing you. I love hanging out with you. I can't wait for the next time. Thank you so much for joining us on Office Hours.
4: Thank
1: you, guys. Thank all you guys. Thank you all so
4: much. Thank you, Pat, Ben. Please. Thanks, Ben. I think one thing that, that Ben touched on that was super impactful is his ability and n- no fair in terms of asking. So many people are scared to ask and he's thinking, he's racking his brain kind of like you. You've got this beautiful mind Was like, who do I know that knows this person? And he, he sees Tom Cruise in the bathroom, he remembers right away. My sister worked for him, let me make that point of connection and look what that's done for him. And the second thing that I think that Ben is doing for so many people is he's made an impact in an industry that's been dominated for so long by folks that don't look like him. Being an Asian American in the the Jewelry Game, as it pertains to hip-hop, you know, he's truly a role model for so many people. And he's one of these people coming along that's bucking the system and showing that anybody can do anything, if they put the work in.
0: Next up, we've got Ming Tsai, Emmy Award-winning celebrity show.
3: Ming, welcome to Office Hours. Thanks, Dave. Great to see you. Great to see you. You know, I had to have you on Office Hours because out of all the entrepreneurial friends that I have, one of the things that resonates with me is you are one of those people that could have done anything that they wanted to do you know there's a lot of people that are very specific in their skill set their knowledge what do you think it is that uh, the spirit of excellence or this you know desire that you have that allows you to succeed at the highest level at everything you do and not subside to the pressure you know, of being a doctor, a lawyer, a failure, going to the Ivy Leagues, I'm sure having your cultural parents there, uh, if you would have told them when you were 11, I'm going to be one of the greatest chefs of all time and an entrepreneur, they would have said, no, just keep studying me and you'll be fine in medical school, you know, when you graduate Harvard. Now, what what is that common denominator?
7: For me, I, I have an inherent responsibility because like all the other immigrants, all the Jewish immigrants, the Chinese immigrants, all of us that came here, I think back to my grandparents, my my grandfather went to Yale 1918, Uh, went back to China. Then my father, they paved the way to set me up for success. Doesn't guarantee success, but look, just like the Jewish culture, Asian culture pushed education, right? Go to high school, go to college, get a degree. I, I feel the burden and it's a good thing. Actually, the responsibility of my previous generation that worked so hard literally to be on that boat and get on that ferry and get to America. And and here I have, I've been set up. I've always had food, shelter, right? Again, parents pushed me on education. They took us traveling. I I feel that responsibility to succeed, to be successful. It's not money, it's not cars and planes and jewelry. It's. How are you leaving your mark?
5: Ming, I know you know the importance of eating healthy, especially in today's world with, you know, the rising rates of cancer and heart disease. And I know you do a lot of great work with the Cancer Foundation. So with this new line, Ming Bing products, tell us how you're infusing both of them together, really being a conscious eater while at the same time providing healthy food that we can enjoy.
7: The story goes back four years. And this story ends up great because my wife is 100% healthy and cancer-free but four, almost four years, ago, this, four years ago this October, diagnosed a non-smoker with stage four lung cancer, out of the blue, just a wow. crazy diagnosis. So the two things we decided to do, <clears throat> obviously we went to Dana-Farber, of course, the best, one of the best cancer hospitals in the world. She qualified for something called Tegriso, which is an oral pill. She took a pill every day that wiped her cancer out. She's cancer-free. That was the first thing we did. So thank you, Dana-Farber. Thank you, AstraZeneca, for developing the drug. Two, she went vegan. And back then, pre-COVID, I was still traveling a lot. So I literally went to grocery stores and said, okay, what veggie patty, what can I buy for my wife when I'm traveling that she can eat that's delicious? Well, if you go to the veggie patty section in any grocery store, not to disparage anyone, but they're they're horrible. They're these dry (laughs) hockey puffs with emulsified grains and chickpeas, and they were not edible. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to make it my mission and make a great veggie patty. Make a vegan patty that she can enjoy. Make it super easy for her to cook and for everyone else in this country to cook. And flip the paradigm. Put the emulsification on the outside. So don't worry about pureeing stuff and making it stick together. I did it more like, uh, it's called a Bing. A Bing is a traditional dim sum item in China. They're usually round shaped, so I made it square shaped instead. So like a spring roll, the original has eight super water Watercress, six times the vitamin C of, of oranges edamame is pepitas, so tree nut free, peanut free, but great fat and great protein. Garlic, ginger, onions are all natural, natural antioxidants and shiitake mushroom are immune enhancing. So all of that walks through together, wrapped in a gluten free brown rice wrap. That was a creation of Ming's bangs.
6: I believe people need coaching or they coach people. When you get down or things seem to struggle, who do you lean on or what kind of books do you read to help inspire and motivate you to keep pressing? And do you believe in coaching?
7: Absolutely. Um, I, I have been coached my whole life, literally in sports, right? Squash coaches, tennis coaches. <clears throat> the best coaches ever, of course, were parents and grandparents, right? They, they weren't called coach. They were called, you know, yeah, yeah, not mama, baba. You can't go through life alone. There's always someone else that's done it either better or just for a longer time. So I tell my whole team, guys, I'm not really smarter than any one of you, but I happen to be 20 to 30 years older than you. So I've just seen this scenario, whatever the scenario is, it could be a conflict, it could be, it could be a P&L statement, it could be you know, marketing, it could be you know, bad press, whatever it is. I've seen it because I'm older.
4: I mean, that, that's tremendous and it's good seeing you and thank you so much for the work you do for cancer. I know it's something that's affected literally every family around the world in some capacity. So kudos to you and I'm happy yep. to hear your wife is doing well and thriving. And it's a segue into, in, into what I was thinking about is that health is wealth. And as you were telling us about the Ming-Bing's patty uh, and the watercress and, and what the benefits of it are and, and these different healthy ingredients, it had me thinking of how in this country specifically, we, we're not taught about you know, eating and nutrition. And I know you've got your show on, on PBS and when I think of PBS, the first thing I think of is learning, right? I think mm-hmm. of Arthur and all the programming. Yeah. I, <laughs> I watched when I was younger. Um, what sort of show do you do on PBS and, and is there any focus on education around nutrition?
7: Absolutely. So I'm in, uh, I just wrapped up season 18 of Simply Ming. Uh, proudly we the longest running cooking show today in America, which is great. I'm kind of taking classic preparations of dishes and making it almost Asian-y, right? Making it in flavor whatnot, but taking out the meat and add, adding either some of these really good substitute plant-based meats out there right now, um, or just focus on really adding quinoas and chickpeas and great flavor, right? <clears throat> Food has to taste good first, right? That's the bottom line. I mean, one of my goals was Ming's Bings, and the reason there's such obesity in this country, if you're a single mom or dad with two children, you just got off your second or third job and you got $18 in your pocket and two kids, you are going to McDonald's because you don't have a choice. Mm-hmm. This is the only place I can get sustenance for my two kids and myself. And it's sustenance and it's food. But how many millions and millions and millions of people have to eat there because they don't have, I can't stand on my pedestal and get chicken breast and organic carrots and do this. They don't have pots and pans, plus they don't have time. So that's never going to change because of how inexpensive the with fast food companies are. What can change, though, is being able to offer a delicious Ming's Bing's that's the same cost and size of a Big Mac, but so much better for you and the planet.
3: You represent my favorite quote I've ever had, which is, be kind to your future self and do good deeds. Thank you for all the great deeds that you do.
7: Oh, you're welcome, dude. Thank you. Thank you, Ming's. My yeah.
6: family's converting to vegan. You know, we, my wife's gluten-free. We're all dairy-free, even though I cheat all the time, which is bad, <laughs> right? It's just Here, so bad.
3: Here's to the food jitters.
6: <laughs> yeah, so I need to figure out how to find things I like that are more vegan and healthy. But I mean, every time I hear it, it's like, oh, it's got to be out there. But I've tried the impossible and I've tried the other. This is a different Yeah, I need to taste something better because that's been the biggest issue, but that's exciting.
5: Yeah, I'm plant-based as well, you know, and it is really important, and I find that he's absolutely right. Sometimes you find food out there, and it's like cardboard, and you don't enjoy it as much, right? So especially for people trying to make the transition, you want to enjoy your food at the same time. I'm just excited to try his food.
3: Yeah, beats a hockey puck, that's
5: for yeah. sure. Yeah, absolutely.
3: <laughs>
0: Our next guest is Vivek Ranadive, chairman, CEO, and governor of the Sacramento Kings.
3: Vivek. Welcome to Office Hours. Thank you, David. Thank you for having me. You know, I'm always intrigued uh, by someone who is a chairman and owner of a professional sports team because when I was young, my ultimate dream was to play a professional sports, which I think is a dream of men and women or kids, boys and girls when they're young, almost all of them. Uh, But there comes an age where you realize that's the top of the top that get to do that. So as an entrepreneur, there becomes a new top of the top, which is to be the owner and chairman of the most sacred asset on earth, one of the teams in the NBA. And in order to get there, we have to really understand manifestation. For you, how were you able to first manifest yourself into a position through innovation and creativity to create abundance, but also to direct it, because it's a lot more than having money to actually become an owner and chairman of a professional sports team.
8: Yeah, so David, uh, yeah, no, that's, uh, you know, it's kind of a, a miracle. You know, how does a guy that showed up from Bombay with $50 in his pocket, uh, own up? not just owning a basketball team, but just imagine i some of the competition committee, you know, sitting between, you know, Chris Paul and Michael Jordan and legends, and I've never played the game and I'm here you know helping set the rules of the game so so i've absolutely lived uh, the dream and it's a huge uh, privilege and a huge honor to be able to be one of 30 uh, owners if you really want to do something and you put your mind to it and and you just never give up and you just you know keep pursuing it then you can make it happen.
6: I heard a story that you were coaching your daughter's basketball team and you changed the defensive formation and that led you to le- win the championship or do well. Well, Tell us that story. And, th- and then I heard that you maybe wanted to roll that into the NBA as well.
8: Yeah, no, so basically, you know, I was trying to, I was a single dad. I was trying to spend more time with my daughter. So it's really a love story, you know, and how I spend more time with my little girl. And so I volunteered to coach her basketball team. I coached my boys in soccer. But that was different because I actually had played soccer. With basketball, I'd never touched a basketball. So I show up at this gym near my house in Redwood City, and there's multiple courts. So the first day I just said, hey, girls, you know, what, what we need to do today is we need to run. So I made them run up and down the court for an hour, just like relays and just keep running. Uh, but then I said, you know, I can't just keep making them run. i got to eventually figure <laughs> out what this game is. So I studied the game, and I'm a bit of a math nerd. So I came up with a math equation for the game and, and the uh, basic concept of the equation turned out that you got to win the turnover battle. And that if you get five more turnovers and a turnover is anytime you have the ball, when the other team should have the ball, then in that game format, you would basically win every game. You know, we would get the ball under the basket, do an easy layup. Uh, we'd be up 25 to zero and then they would institute the mercy rule. Uh, And so it, it ended up basically changing, you know, changing how we played the game and we ended up winning every single game.
4: Basketball's always been a global game and it's actually both surprising and heartwarming that we have an Indian owner before we have an Indian NBA superstar. And I'm actually someone mm. that's ironically represented an Indian G League player, Amjait Singh, and we used to speak a lot about the growth of the game in India. And for me, you know, playing college basketball, having friends from all over the world, you learn so much about culture. And learning is what I want to talk about, because you've obviously had a great career uh, in, in, in another sphere. I want to know what you've learned since you've entered into the arena of ownership of an NBA team. And how it's differed from your previous successes in business.
8: One of the pitches that I had when I convinced uh, the uh, NBA owners and the NBA to sell me the team was I had this vision of what I refer to as NBA 3.0. Uh, you know, 1.0 was kind of the start of basketball. 2.0 was making it international, and 3.0 is really you know making it a global uh, phenomenon, and uh, which it now is. And, and you know, it was driven by three vectors. One of which was that is bigger than basketball, and you use this as a platform to do good uh, in your community, but both uh, also on a worldwide basis. Uh, and you know, we've now taken the game to India. We played the first ever game in India against the Indiana Pacers a couple of years ago in my hometown of Bombay. You know, what an epic moment that was for me to see an actual NBA basketball game being played. Uh, you know, with, with my family members in the in the audience, and so that was epic. Uh, but I think that. Uh, owning a basketball team is like no, the experience. Well, first of all, you don't own the team. Uh, so the team belongs to the city. It belongs to the fans. Uh, it belongs to the media. And you're just a temporary steward of the team. Uh, and so you're really kind of there uh, to, you know, you surround yourself with great people. They do the job. Uh, the fans have an opinion. Uh, and, uh, you know, everyone feels like they own a piece of the team. Uh, but also with the team, uh, it's a platform, uh, and it's a platform uh, that you can use to do good. And so I have been pushing the cause of social justice with this platform, uh, and you know I've been pushing the cause of you know uh, taking the fiction out of the voting process. You know I launched something called Rally the Vote, and we t- touched literally a hundred million people with it. And now you know over fifty teams, professional teams, have signed up behind my efforts. Uh, you know I take that responsibility very very seriously. that we have a responsibility to use the platform to make the world a better place.
5: Vivek, you came to this country with only $50 in your pocket, and you created this incredible success in a multitude of industries, technology, as we know, the sports industry. But I think the common denominator is really your leadership. So what are some core values in regards to leadership that have helped you build the success with the team and within these various organizations?
8: Yeah, so everyone has a superpower. And my superpower is that I've always been able to surround myself with people uh, that are way smarter than me. And uh, so, you know, that's helped me throughout my life and throughout my career that for some reason, I can convince really, really smart people to come, to come join me. You want to get the best of the brightest, and then you want them to each feel like they're doing their own thing. So you're bringing out the best in them. Uh, and they can even improvise from time to time. So the leader of the future is a jazz band conductor, you know, assembling different pieces and then making sure that it's all coming together as, as music. So I think that that's kind of what I've been able to do is be that jazz band director. Uh, I refer to myself as kind of the chief annoyance officer. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I can be very annoying. And so the role of a good leader is, uh, and, you know, and I had the good fortune of being friends with folks like Steve Jobs, Uh, and who people would tell you was, you know, kind of the world champion in being annoying. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, it's kind of like if you look at, you know, how you make something of beauty. So if you look at a pearl, it starts with an empty shell uh, and there's a grain of sand that gets into the shell. And that grain of sand is an irritant and then the pearl forms around it. So I'm like the chief irritant, you know, so I'm always asking annoying questions. So always pushing the envelope, always annoying people with Why not do better? Why not do it, you know, in in a way that nobody has ever thought of before? Uh, And I think that's what leaders do.
3: And they are also intelligent followers and some even can apply math to everything that they do. Uh, Everything you do is done well as the managing director of Bo Capital, supporting so many other innovations and supporting those that need help uh, with equity and social justice in mind with your team. You're a best-selling author, uh, a terrific father as well. Uh, There is one mathematical equation I think of when I think of you, Vivek. It's what you pay attention to plus what you give intention to equals the coincidences in your life. It's the mathematical equation of luck. And I know so many people around you say how lucky you are. It's more math than luck. And so thank you for paying attention to the right things, giving intention to the better things and creating the coincidences that we all benefit for and from. Vivek, what an honor it's been to have you here with us on Office Hours. I, I repeated my formula. You guys are all way better than me, so thank you for your time. <laughs> thank, you, thank you, Vivek. What a humble, humble man. If you're the smartest man in the room or a woman in the room. You're in the wrong room. So sorry, Nate, you're in the wrong room. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's for sure, Jace?
6: I love it that he started with nothing and built something yeah. up, and he's living his dream.
3: That resonates with you.
6: I, absolutely. You know, I'd like to own a team one day. I'm, I'm, I'm in. You know, we'll, we'll do that together. But I think it's so cool. And he was saying he was coaching his daughter's basketball game mm-hmm. and didn't really even understand the game, and he had to figure that out. And it's, he's passionate about it. He was. He had a team that was getting ready to start winning. And he went and and helped save Sacramento. That's just a great story.
4: Yeah, I mean, that disruptive behavior to emigrate from Bombay with with $50 $50 in his pocket, the fact that he didn't know the game of basketball, but what he did know was hard work. He was like, I don't understand this game, but I know if they run fast and they work hard, they'll probably win. And and that's the sort of thing that he's led the, the Kings with. And they have been on the forefront of tech and having a sustainable arena. And it's only a matter of time before his culture that he sets and ownership trickles down to winning with the organization. And uh, he's truly an inspiration for so many.
3: Yes, this is becoming the home of legends here on Office Hours.
4: You've heard some amazing guests
0: this episode. Now let's hear the takeaway of the day from Jason Waller, host
6: of the True Underdog Podcast. I'm Jason Waller with your takeaway of the day. We all experience tough times as entrepreneurs, but having a purpose or a why that is bigger than your struggles will help to keep you on track. When you are a purpose-driven leader, you are also empowered to push through whatever difficulties may come your way.
0: I'm excited to hear from our next guest, Shane Riggs, founder of the VA Group.
3: Shane, welcome to Office Hours. Thank you, Dave. Excited to be here. For years, I've been considering virtual assistants and working through the math of it, the value of it. And my biggest concern always was, was it worth the time it took to get somebody up to speed or could I figure out what I could outsource that wouldn't have a detrimental impact, even if it saved me money. In the long run, my biggest fear was Mm -hmm. I could make more money by training people and paying more for them to do it in-house. What and how did you figure out a model that not only was economical, which is obvious, but more importantly, provided more value than having certain employees and in positions in-house.
9: So, Dave, there's there's two main questions here for you know outsourcing a virtual assistant compared to doing an in-house employee. Um, one is you know what are the pros and cons of hiring a virtual assistant compared to this in-house employee, and two, why should I hire your company compared to? doing it myself and vetting them, so on and so One, you don't have the liability, which is fantastic. Two, you can utilize this virtual assistant part-time, full-time, whatever it is that you're looking for. So virtual assistants, they can work at their own leisure. They can do exactly what you're looking to get done. And you call it a day. Now a second form of that is, as far as virtual assistants goes, why hire this company? Well, when you go down this route, you have to vet them. You have to train them. You have to make sure that you're actually not spending You know insurmountable amount of time and making sure that this person is going to work out you obviously have to make sure that they're not going to leave you for the highest bidder you have to make sure that they're not going to take any of your information dealing with a company like ours we solve that problem right off the bat
4: that's really interesting shane and actually with 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 covid i feel like especially a lot of companies are rethinking and reshifting both the way they spend money and and how how many employees they have. So I see a company like the VA Group having a really, really nice niche to sell as companies are downsizing on staff, as they're going to alternative workspaces, uh, as they're reducing office size. How has COVID affected your business? And has there been any surprises in, in regards to COVID related to your business?
9: Business owners learn to evolve and they learn to adapt. Going virtual and figuring out that you don't have to go to an office, You don't have to have in-house employees to survive or surpass. That's the big difference. People are evolving, they're adapting, they're, oh my gosh, this virtual assistant can still do this and this and this, or even on top, they can help with marketing or branding or content writing or building things out.
5: Shane, I know a lot of small business owners, and I'm sure you do too, that spend a lot of their genius zone and their energy and time doing these tasks that aren't growing the business because they don't want to outsource. So when would you say is a good time to have that VA or to outsource with a company like yours?
9: You know, we get this question a lot. And if you're a small business owner or you do everything yourself, there's a couple of things you need to do. The very first one is you need to create an SOP, which is a standard operating procedure. You need to write down what you do from when you wake up, from when you end your day. And I'm not talking about personal things. I'm talking about your business. And if you have 40 hours worth of work, that's the start. Now, imagine hiring a virtual assistant to delegate that 40 hours worth of work every single week. Imagine what you can do. Well, now you could focus on client acquisition and growth. You could focus on more free time with your family or you can think about different avenues and explorations of what you want to do with your business as far as expansion goes.
6: Shane, how are you marketing your virtual assistant business? You know, are, are you doing it on social media? Are you running ads? How are you finding other companies to get your name out there and, and do business with you?
9: How we do it is everything under the sun. Obviously this TV show with David Meltzer is gonna bring a great amount of clients in there. So David Meltzer's the guy. Follow what he does and you're good to go no but social media blog posting we do variations of different forms of marketing newspaper um, we have a huge local presence out here and then our referrals 20 percent, which i think is a very fair and reasonable number 20 percent is amazing however to get more front end booked appointments needed everything i'm not talking about just blog posting i'm not talking about just cold calls or cold emails or anything like that you need to do it all If you wanna grow, you learn from your failures, you succeed from that, and you explore different avenues one at a time.
3: Shane, thank you so much for enlightening us on what I think is the future greatest balance that I found between building a culture with internal employees and the VA group here on Office Hours. Thanks Shane. Thanks Dave. I'm telling you, as we grew so quickly, it was so nice, you know, not to have hundreds of extra employees. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you, if anyone had to ever get rid of someone, not because they're not doing a good job, but because especially with technology, the positions change so fast. And then you're looking at someone going, they have a family, you know, I have four children and I I, I just don't have it in me. And it's so nice that Shane has to deal with all that and I don't.
5: Yeah, and I think when we think of VA, we typically think of it as a coach or a consultant, right? You just need that virtual assistant. But you're right, what you said earlier, that the the workspace is changing and even larger corporations and big businesses can use these VAs to cut payroll costs, employee benefits, and that kind of stuff as well.
4: Yeah, I think it's a very, very practical solution to an age-old problem, right? Like like you said, it's very difficult sometimes to deal with folks in certain roles, and they've made the process a lot easier and, and made your job easier. Because I know, and you and I have spoken about this, it's very difficult to let people go.
3: VA group, a great option. Give it a try. The nice thing is it's also month-to-month. You don't have big yearly commitments, et cetera. So you can change, alternate the hours, all types of fun stuff. What a great episode so far. We have one more guest here on Office Hours.
0: Stay tuned, we'll be right back on Office Hours. I'm excited to hear from our next guest, Mark McNally, founder and CEO of Nobody Studios.
3: Mark, welcome to Office Hours. Thanks, David, thrilled to be here, appreciate it. Your business is so incredible because it handles, I think, the two most important things about doing business. One, creating a business, and two, financing the business. And you've taken a unique approach at both. I was hoping you could share how you differ yourself in creating and financing a new business.
10: Let's see, it comes from 14 startups in a 25-year career and watching how we've done it wrong a lot of times.
3: (laughs) (laughs) The dummy tax. You
10: know, I think that so much has changed in the venture world the last four or five, six years, Um, and that's one of the reasons why we were inspired to build Nobody Studios. Uh, A lot of people don't realize that there's been a tremendous amount of money going into startups in the last couple of years of early, early stage startups, and they don't realize that that's actually screwed up a lot of startups. There's Mm -hmm. something to be said for maxing out your credit cards and borrowing money from grandma to make sure you actually build a product that matters. Mm -hmm. And when you go give, you know, a guy and a girl and a dog in the garage with a PowerPoint $10 million, they take their eye off the ball. So we wanted to create a studio that was still hyper-focused on that kind of garage mentality and that hunger and that kind of early stage kind of grit built into the company and yet surround them with the resources, the talent, the connections and the capital at the appropriate times to scale appropriately.
5: Mark, you mentioned a really great point and in the last year and a half, There's been a lot of people that are resigning from the corporate world to build a business and it's really accelerating. But as you know, it's not about starting the business, but it's the staying power within a business. So anyone that's watching this that is interested in building that startup, what would you say is that first step that they really need to act on in order to be successful?
10: Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of right answers, but I know what our DNA is. We build companies that have great metrics and have sustainability in terms of profit, profits, uh, which means in the early stage, we're hyper focused on what is the one goal or two metrics that are really going to define success. And again, going back to getting too much money too early, people paint these big five and 10 year visions, and they've got this long term roadmap and that's all great. It's fun to think that way. But when the music stops and it will stop, you know, we're going through a phase right now of irrational valuations and irrational capital. It'll stop. I've been through that three times. And when it stops, only the companies with true metrics are going to survive.
6: Mark, when you're investing in these startups, what are you looking for in the leadership team? You know, the entrepreneurs that you're wanting to bet on the jockey, right, to win the race. Hmm. What skill sets are you looking for in those guys?
10: You know, our model is built around taking amazing people, but building around them the rest of the team that we have within the studio to make sure they can accelerate around their core passions. You know, I'll give you an example. One of the companies we're building, you know, six months ago, is was taking an Uber ride from Orange County to L.A., and I got off my phone call and the driver turned around and said, what do you do, man? And I said, well, I theoretically, I build unique companies with cool people. And Myron says, well, I'm cool people, what can we build? And I said, I don't know, Myron, we got one more hour so we can tell A, let's figure it out. And I, you know, we got some ideas going around, I gave him my number, I said, let's do a WhatsApp chat. Three hours later I left my meeting and I hit, once I hit Uber and up comes Myron, and he's waiting for me. And I'm like, Myron, what are the chances of that? And he's like, no, no, I've been stalking you. That was the best conversation I've had in six years driving Uber nobody's taking you home but me. And six months later, Myron's gonna be a founder of one of our companies and you know, he wouldn't normally be brought into the venture world. So it's kind of an example of how we think off the beaten path to find great founders.
4: Mark, that, that's a tremendous story and, and one that I'm gonna always remember because I've had amazing conversations with Uber drivers over the years. Some of the most interesting yeah, people right. I, I've ever met and I'm happy that you were open uh, to have that conversation and follow up and he saw that you were open to receiving his ideas. That's, that says a lot about you. I want to touch in a little bit on what you said before. One of the problems with startups right now is that they are getting, from your perspective, overfunded and, and it causes you know this adverse effect where folks take their eye off the ball. What other things are startups doing uh, that's not positive that, that would make a company like Nobody Studios not be interested? What avi- advice do you have for startups to make their their, their pitch and also their company more attractive to the VC world.
10: We're a little bit different than a traditional venture capitalist, right? So we're not looking for external ideas, we're just being a passive investor. We really believe that what unlocks the power of what we do is our ability to be very hands-on, which means we're a larger equity owner of those companies. Um, so when we find early stage founders with ideas, we're saying, come in, come into the fold, build a company within our family, but we get a, uh, offer them equity across the rest of our portfolio. So for an early stage founder, they could just say, hey, these guys aren't just passive investors. They're gonna be founders with me and I get to play across lots of other companies. And that's something that no one else is offering. In fact, it's, uh, it's pretty uh, pretty aggressive on our part, but we think that talent's gonna be the battleground for the next few decades. And we're trying to push the boundaries of how we compensate and incentivize folks.
3: One of the things that interests me about investing in Nobody Studios myself is that its basis is off the number one rule about business. And for me, there's only one rule about business. It's what are you doing to stay in business? What are the things that you're looking for to stay in business and allow it to evolve into what works and an ever-changing, quickly growing mm-hmm. atmosphere of business? You know,
10: our process is hyper-focused on the first zero to eighteen months. So beyond that, we really believe we're bolting on the traditional venture capital and other sources of capital for that company to be on its own two feet and soar. But we are hyper-focused on that first zero to eighteen months, and our process is really about a traditional scientific agile experiment process or lean strategy where you're saying, did this work? What was our hypothesis? Did it work? You know, test it. Did it work? Go back to the drawing board. Try again. And it's not until you start proving that the metrics are working, people are reacting to the product the way you want, your acquisition strategies are working, and you can point to a business model that is worth pouring capital into, right? So we put enough capital into that early stage to get it to the point where the company is de-risked and de identified and then we can pour all the capital we want into it.
3: Well, we appreciate you allowing us to trust and bet you, Mark McNally Founder and CEO of Nobody Studios. Thanks for joining me. Congratulations. Thanks, Thanks Mark. Mark. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. It takes somebody to have nobody. What do you think?
6: It takes somebody to have nobody's perfect. I think when you're taking a chance on startups and you're helping entrepreneurs chase their dream. And sometimes, you know, in my business, we look for private equity and on a minority level to allow us to have the cash capital to open up more markets. And it was a tedious task. I mean, there were... I've said this before, I didn't know what EBITDA meant before we right. did that, right? So, you know, you need someone like Mark and his business for these startups to really help guide them to get to grow their company mm-hmm. and invest in them to take it to the next level. And kudos to him for building something great and believing in people. And, and thinking outside of the box, the Uber story was just mm-hmm. awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
5: You know, it's all about systems, and that's what he's doing right. It's having those benchmarks, those metrics for sustainability so that the business can last, and that's really going to be critical for business owners.
3: Well, this has been an extraordinary episode. This is the best office to be in. Here, I'm David Meltzer with office hours.
0: Now a quick word from our JA Impact Honoree partner presented by Screwball Peanut Butter Whiskey. Junior Achievement Worldwide prepares young people for employment and entrepreneurship delivering hands-on experiential learning and work readiness, financial literacy and entrepreneurship. The recipient of the JA Impact Honoree is selected based on their mission-driven values and have the opportunity to align with Junior Achievement Worldwide through their $100 million Plus Alumni Network, driving awareness to their brand through junior achievements, millions of entrepreneurs looking to make an impact on the world.
2: I'm Steve Yang. Co-founder of Screwball Whiskey, Vivek Renadive, owner of Sacramento Kings, is someone we personally respect, who truly used his platform to push for social change. Vivek and the Kings are doing amazing things to promote diversity, inclusion, and social justice, which is why he is this week's Junior Achievement Honoree. Congratulations, Vivek.
0: Thanks for watching this week's episode of Office Hours and a special thank you to our featured co-hosts and guests for joining today's episode.
4: See you next week on Office Hours.